Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Supported by The Gelded End, the number one Leeds United memorabilia site. Visit TheGeldedEnd.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello, welcome to the 64th Square Ball Podcast. I'm Dan, and with me is Michael. Hello. Moscow White. Hello. And Oddie. Hello. Hey, we do a fanzine, and uh, issue two of it is going to be on sale against QPR uh, on Saturday. Uh, make sure you buy yourself a copy at the ground, or if you're not going, you can buy it online at thesquareball.net, and we've all sold out of issue one, gents, haven't we? Apart from the PDFs. The digital ones, we've still got a limited number of those left. And if you bear in mind that how quickly the uh, the paper copies sold, there's got to be a reason people bought those. The only way to find out now is to buy the PDF. If you want to know what everybody got and you ain't got, go get that. Indeed, and don't forget that subscriptions are also available online right now at thesquareball.net. White watching. Gents, we're getting into um, uncharted territory now um, with this. We are still unbeaten, despite being fans of Leeds United. It's it's not adding up, is it? First game out of these lot. Then we drew against Sheffield Wednesday at home. What 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 do we think of this one then? It was a little bit of an anticlimax. I thought I went back expecting a win somehow. I know it's unreasonable to, but after after beating Brighton, I kind of thought, oh, this is this is the way it'll be. And even in injury time, I was thinking we're going to win this. There'll be a, there'll be another last minute winner, but sadly not. You've completely thrown me off. I I would have expected I'll throw us you to off lose. <laughs> I would have expected us to lose to Sheffield Wednesday in classic Leeds United style to get away with a... I mean, admittedly, they are rubbish and going down. They were really rubbish. I was amazed at how shit they were. They're big, though. Big lads. Oh, very big. Very big I lads. Didn't... Poor little Tom Lees. Frightened for him. <laughs> Those guys come marauding up the pitch like... Um, like Marauders. Like marauding... I'm tr- the cast of the film 300. What happens in that? It's a war film with okay. barbarians. I things. was thinking more of like those moving castles. It is that Japanese film to match his moving castle or something. Anyway. Takeshi's Castle? Yeah. Has that got a moving castle in no, it? No, Takeshi's Castle's the slapstick thing where well, it's, it's people trying to run across well, slippy things. That's, that's very... Breaking the necks. That's very much how uh, Leeds United defended for the first goal. <laughs> it wasn't it? Oh, really? <laughs> slapstick defending? Oh, Seems, yeah, absolutely seamless. Yeah, it, it did sort of have that look about it, didn't it, when we fell behind? It we... was just unnecessarily big. Mm. I think that was the only problem. On the, when the ball on the ground, they were awful. Their incredibly big striker was one of the worst footballers I've ever seen. And we've seen a few at Ellen Road. <laughs> Bloody hell. It was like John Parkin without the skills. We're coming on to the Doncaster game shortly. The awkward thing about that was that they sucked on the ground, uh, but were good in the air, and we're all right on the ground, but we don't seem to be doing very well with... Um, crosses and that 
All the goals seem to be, well, apart from the ones that weren't. <laughs> the, the Ipswich goal wasn't from across. That was a straight through the middle. But um, Sheffield Wednesday, it was a corner, wasn't it? And then, a corner and a header back across and then another header. Right. So it's the sideways movement is what I'm getting at. Same at Doncaster. And that was Billy Painter. But So things coming from the side and also... As Ipswich showed from the front, <laughs> this from in behind, the air, from behind, and, and also in the ground. This and, is this analysis is just breathtaking. We can't deal with crosses, and I've noticed it. So deal with it. Who do you think I'm, Jamie Carragher? I don't fucking, I don't, I don't know everything. You know, I can't. I'm Scouse accent. Should we describe no. it the game like Michael Owen would? And he's the cross has come in, and he's headed it back across, and then it's gone in the goal. Thanks, Michael. Literally, yeah. Leeds United uh, then went on to equalise through Ross McCarmack in 58 minutes. Great goal, Michael. Uh, can you describe it for us? Yep, he's he's kicked it round the defender. The goalkeeper's come out, um, and he's he's shot, and he's gone in the goal. Great. And as a to- as a top striker yourself, how did you rate that goal? I thought it was quite good. Cheers, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. Which game was he commentating on? I can't, it was a, it was a shit game anyway. I think it might have been Stoke or something. Yeah, a bit. I saw him on. But it, unbelievably, he sounded so much like Martin Keown. I was very confused, and then I don't. I'm not sure about this business of oh, there's been a decision, and we've got a referee's opinion, and because he just comes in and goes, I think the referee's done very well. Um, he's a top referee, and he's made another good decision. Well done. Oh, bit controversial that one, but he's got it right. Anyway, Sheffield Wednesday game, fine strike by Ross McCormack, doing that brilliant playground trick of knocking it one way around the player, and then just running the other way. Enjoy. It's that. always nice to see. Yeah, that. an incredibly square bit of defending. Jason Pearce would have been proud of that uh, of that particular move. It was what Don Polion had been trying to do from kickoff, except every time they did that, they basically just turned around and punched him and the referee went, I don't care. Whereas for Ross McCormack, it worked. The referee in this game, I seem to remember being just generally a bit shit. He seemed to miss quite a few obvious things and then he booked one of their players for a foul on Paul Green, which was a complete accident as far as I could tell. And yeah. he'd missed quite a few fairly bad tackles prior to that. He just seemed to get. He didn't get any like major penalty decisions wrong or anything as I can remember. He no. just seemed to just generally be wrong. And he us. really didn't like Don Polion because once he started Stop getting kicked, Mister yeah. Footballer. Stop and then when getting he kicked. when he started getting back and he was like trying to grapple with the players, kind of Watford style. He was just immediately booked him, didn't he? he was like, I mean, no, you cut that out. I'm giving you a yellow card. You're not allowed to touch these defenders. Look at the size of them. <laughs> yeah, he had a bit yeah, of a tough game with Polion. He didn't. Didn't quite work for him at any point, did Because it? he was just basically being <laughs> punched in the throat every time he got near a, a defender. He kept trying to do too much, though, as well. He'd, kind yeah. of, he'd beat a man and get in a position. He'd think, cross it, cross it, cross it. No. Oh, okay. Hopefully that composure is something that will sort of come in time with him, maybe. Oh, that referee just stays away. Well, yeah. Bit of an anticlimax on the crowd with this one. 10,000 fewer people in than against Brighton. Uh, obviously, we, we kind of preempted this, didn't we, on the last podcast? Category A prices... Early kickoff live on Sky Telly, uh, but still a bit disappointing not to break twenty-five. A little bit. It w- we would have broken twenty-five if Sheffield Wednesday had brought a respectable number, <laughs> rather than the kind of two coach loads that they did bring. And you know, one it's it's not fixed yet. I know there's a lot of positivity around, and the first game crowd was incredible, but. One swallow does not make a summer. Indeed, it does go to show the, the sort of damage that's been done by the last eight years, doesn't it? That yeah. people are not going to uh, forget these things overnight and it's going to take time to rebuild our relationship. Well, it's not just about rebuilding relationships, it's rebuilding habits. I mean, the Brighton game was massive because it's the first game of the season and it's so it was easily easy to promote. You could promote the hell out of it as Leeds United are back. 
Um, but getting everybody who's been away for kind of five years, six years, eight years into that idea of going to Island Road again every Saturday, it's kind of like, yeah, they'll come for the Brighton game and really excited and probably enjoy it. But then they might have already, you know, arranged something for that weekend because they're not used to having to keep Saturdays free. And having a season ticket, you obviously go to this, but had I been having to buy a ticket, part of me would probably have thought, Ooh. Come and see the Giants of Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> probably do without They're spending freaks. that money. <laughs> and getting up early. Like a circus thing. Yeah. Circus sideshow. So it'll take some time. You don't. A lot of the Brighton effect might be felt further down the line when people are more like, you know what, I did enjoy that. I I'm not going to go to the Sheffield Wednesday again because it sounds rubbish. But, you know, I'll go to this game and, and then enjoy year, that again. That would have been a good crowd. That would have been a nice crowd. 23,000 people to watch what Neil Warnock did. Yeah. On to the next game then, the Ipswich uh, match and exercising a ghost here, which was nice to uh, to finally get a win there after, what, 12 years of not having done so? They were all doing that classic thing on uh, all the f- coverage of, well, last time that Leeds United won here, it was a Premier League fixture. <laughs> Thought we were over this. <laughs> a bloody hell, a Champions League draw this evening. I, I was disappointed to notice that we weren't in it again. Well, just 12 years ago, Leeds United <laughs> would have been in that draw. Now, look look where they are. Ipswich game, though. I mean, we, we were fearful in these early stages. I mean, I dare say everybody was watching this on an online stream or another. It looked a bit ropey in the early stages, like we might get turned over. But then this is our classic pattern this season, isn't it? Fall behind and then win. When you say fearful, do you mean fearfully poor? I've sort of been worried in all these opening matches that at some point the wheels are going to come off mm. and we'll fall behind and then lose heavily. But we've seemed to, you know, be showing quite a lot of resilience. But I was worried in the early stages of this that it was going to happen. Because we were crap. Yes. But McDermott can change it around, whereas Warnock couldn't. It's a big thing with McDermott. He can see what's going wrong and he's got the balls to change it. Not good enough, frankly, because we should be starting with what's right. I'm not interested in this going behind, changing it, fixing it. If we're going to win the league this season, as I believe after uh, two results we will, or we should if we had a decent manager, then we would be starting these games and we'd, we should have been 4-0 up by uh, half-time if he'd uh, started the game with the uh, formation we finished with. But what was he doing all week? Wait. I'd take it all back then. Yeah. McDermott out. Spent all week doing no work on the training ground. He was in Cornwall. Going to uh, was Leeds Festival. His mind, that was the next day. His mind was obviously on seeing Eminem and not on... Uh, combating their fullback, so we started with some joke formation that we then had to uh, we then had to fix at half time. Before otherwise, we would have been we'd probably you know one defeat, and we could be staring relegation in the face <laughs> at this stage of the season. Now, are we, are we not seven points clear of relegation now? Can you tell I've had enough of this positivity? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's all good. Nice to see people like Luke Varney, who we rightly hammered perhaps in the past, now stepping up to the plate and. Took his goal really rather well, didn't he? Spanked spanked it. Van Dog in the house. Oh, sorry. Van Dog, yes. He's strange as Varney because he's still very hard to like him. He's not very good at most things he tries to do. (laughs) But then he he does seem to make useful contributions now and then. He's just not a particularly nice player to watch. He reminded me a bit with this goal of what Howard Wilkinson once said about why he moved Gary Kelly from the wing to right back because he said he was... Can't shoot for shit. (laughs) Those weren't his exact words. He said, I saw the Wigan Cup tie and I think you're wrong. That's <laughs> true. He said he was a reactive player rather than a proactive player. So if he's got somebody running at him and he has to sort it out, he could do it. But if he was on the wing and having to create, 
he couldn't do it. And that's kind of Varney, if you put him on the wing, give him the ball, he'll kind of run in circles for a bit and lose it. But wait, if a, if a shot is deflected and just falls to him, he can instantly stop it on a sixpence and then hammer it home. A bit like, like against um, Southampton when the ball flashed across goal <laughs> to him. But I kind of, I kind of buy into out for safety. I buy into what you're saying. It's like if he, if he has to do it, do it, if he has to do it instinctively, he can do it. But if he has time to yeah. think about it, like I'm just going to pop this into this open, <laughs> oh, <laughs> then he can't do it. Yeah, I guess it's the problem we've had with quite a lot of players we've had recently. Brains, lack yeah. of, or, yeah. or having a small brain but using it too much. Yeah. So it was a good, but you know, good finish, good goal. I would have liked to have seen a stronger celebration from Van Dijk. He didn't. <laughs> He didn't do a great deal. I would have liked to see something, something there, a backflip perhaps. Perhaps grabbing his crotch like uh, yeah, Juve, yeah? Do some his pecs like, out. Or moonwalk like Michael Jackson. As you mentioned, Moscow, uh, McDermott made changes at half-time tactically and it paid off because we were a lot better in the second half. Oh yeah, once he'd actually thought about the game. <laughs> Idiot. Semi-seriously, it is a bit weird how McCormack generally has to just make his goals for himself. Sheffield Wednesday got the ball, passed it to himself and scored. And then with this one, it was a, do we call it a deep cross from Varney? He seemed to just miss everybody in the penalty area. And it comes to McCormack's head. He headed it to himself and then kind of turned (laughs) around, realised there was nobody to pass to. So kind of knocked it forward a bit and then ran after it and then just shot and it went in. Even Varney's goal was from the same thing, really, because it was him shooting, but it went a bit wrong. And the build-up to to that was... Was hilarious. Rudy Austin had the ball and nobody was challenging him. He was basically just running left and right and didn't know what to do and if, it reminded me of do you remember the um, Harry Enfield Tillman Lee Warner yeah. <laughs> thing where the the tricky winger just flicks the ball one way and then changes his feet and then flicks the ball the other and then changes his feet and then flicks the ball the other he was just doing that until Ross McCormack went over and said look just give it to me and I'll have a shot I sort of hesitate to draw this comparison but isn't that exactly what Lionel Messi does is make goals for himself by running with it and stuff yeah he gets the occasional one too does that yeah. make Varney Iniesta? <laughs> yes, that's that's directly comparable. Varniesta. Speaking about... I'm uh, writing that down, that's good. Varni... Never mind Varndock anymore, Varniesta. There's a t-shirt in that. Yeah, with Liesenbauer. Speaking of McCormack, amusing post-game Twitter spat between him and James Varley once of LUTV. Do, do you think um, Mr Varley had a point that we were... Yes. A bit of an average side? I, I, I must admit, I watched that game not quite knowing what Hunt was meant to be doing. And then Hunt chipped in. Well, the, the word that seemed to attract McCormack's attention was bang average. So McDermott's doing well with a bang average squad. And he was like, you can't be calling our squad bang average. And then Dr. Leeds chipped in with the very good point that this squad finished 13th last season, which is exactly average. I saw it developing and I thought, right, I think I'll get off Twitter for a while. <laughs> and uh, went and did something else for an hour and then came back just as I think Noel Hunt had then gone, what are you saying about us? And I was like, Go out again. Did he tell him to stick it up his arse? Yes, he did. He said, you're entitled to your opinion, but you can stick your opinion up your arse. Seems fair. Um, on to Doncaster then. We won there in the cup. We, we we seem to have buried the ghost of 2008 a little bit with them. We, we beat them now, don't we? On Tuesday night? Yes, the, the Billy Painter derby. Uh, of course, it was inevitable that old Barndor was going to score a goal. But, you know, nice debut goal also for Wooten. And a first one for Smitty, for Smudger. And he got the assist for Wooten as well. Smith plays and people don't have to do their own assists. There's a lesson there. <laughs> Needs to start, drop McCormack, and then uh, Smith can create goals for the other players. And having complained about Sheffield Wednesday's playing style, we've scored two headers from very big men. 
Yeah, there were crosses though. It's not like it was uh, just lumped up to a, a freak because there's nothing freakish about being seven foot two. Um, highlights from this game, apart from Barn Doors' uh, goal, Alex Moa as well from Donny pulled on the shirt. Accomplished uh, performance. Xavi, that's how I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I see a, a theme developing here, a trend. No, it's, it's great to see another player sort of coming through the ranks and he stepped straight into the shirt and looked very, very composed from the off. These games as a whole feels quite positive because Polian did well again. Smith got his first goal. Wotton, the, all these young lads actually playing in a team together and being quite decent. It's quite a change from thinking, oh, well, we'll put Juve on, we'll see what he does. It almost feels a bit like someone is planning. No. Like there's a like there's going to be a season after this one and some of those players who are in the team now could play in future seasons as well. That's talk because to, one of the strikers we've got maybe we're fucking off in a bit. <laughs> Sorry, talk to me about this next season then. Yeah, it's it's a thing that some some teams have experimented with it where you get you get young players in and you have them in the side for a period of time. Sometimes sell them to Norwich and then <laughs> is that how it works and you bring some thir- over 30s in? Yeah. For a bit. Yeah, I think that, well, that's what's happened so far. Yeah. We're still oh. experimenting with this. This is interesting. The, the plans, it's a work in progress. The plans we're used to are generally more War of the World style, being drawn up by malevolent forces against us. And the chances of anything coming from Norwich, uh, well, are Adam Drury. Yes, yeah, so somebody actually drawing up plans to save the world. And McDermott saying afterwards that Moet has played himself straight into his plans and will feature in the squad for the rest of the season. It's good. It's better than when, uh, when Zach Thompson came on and got sent off and then just got berated by Warnock and got sent off out on loan never to darken our door again. And a bit like when he put Dawson in because he went, well, you wanted a youth player, didn't you? He's fucking there, isn't he? There's one. He's the smallest one I could find. Yeah. <laughs> and they sat him on the bench. Eh? Yeah, dragged him all the way down the whip switch. That'll teach him by the ear. <laughs> I don't mean to be controversial here when I say this, but perhaps disproving Neil Warnock's assertion that there was a problem with the academy, like, uh, and I quote, a cancer at the club. Yes, I think they perhaps just didn't like Neil Warnock. Very odd way to describe your own youth, your own successful youth team. Yeah. <laughs> it's surprising as well that these players who, who are coming out of it, Mowat and Dawson, they are like little ball-playing midfielders. I mean, Tom Lee's is probably the the most is the biggest advert for Thorpe Arch in recent years. Big, sturdy defense uh, centre back. You know, you'd expect that from Richard Naylor and Redders. And suddenly, all these little ball-playing. Zavis and Essies, and not to hope them <laughs> yeah, too much. Because we're so rubbish, you had to go to Everton and pinch one of their little um, midfield stars. And ruin his career. <laughs> and didn't At play least him. try. Terrible, That'll terrible. Be England's Ross Barkley. He'll, ne- one, yeah. He'll never make it. <laughs> well, to be fair, though, he said he would make it, but he wasn't interested in helping. Like, <laughs> he, he's going to be a great lad, but I don't want him in my team. The news. We're going to talk in part three to Phil Hay, the chief football writer of the Yorkshire Evening Post, about transfers and stuff. But we will talk about it here briefly now. Let's look back at the arrival of Wooton uh, from a, a small club in, I think is it Salford they're from? I thought he signed from a no-fixed club. Ah, I believe. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, non-contract. It, yeah, it was a non-contract basis. He had a, a, no previous club just training on his own. 21-year-old, centre-back. Can't, can't spell his name. He's got the opposite problem to Steve Morrison, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah. I think he's trying to balance it out. The anti-Morrison. Sounds good already. He's come from those lot, uh, originally at Liverpool, which is a, it's a, that's not a move many people make, is it? Well, out of Liverpool. <laughs> to Manchester. <laughs> but yeah, he's been a bit of a serial loanee, not as bad as Andros. You know, he's gone to Tranmere, Peterborough, Forest as well. Played in the Champions League for those lot. 
the club we shall not name once. Can I think Danny Pugh once played in the Champions League for Man U. Oh, he's going to be good then. So he's got a good pedigree. <laughs> Fee reported by the, you know, very factual and accurate Daily Mail as one million pounds. No, although it could be eventually. Oh, is, like, it, is it add-ons? Do we think? Well, it was on yeah. that. It was on a month-to-month contract, apparently. So presumably, I think I suspect this is a way of Man United being able to, at some point, get some money for him if he is any ever any good, as opposed to us actually giving them any money up front. Yeah. And of course, he's under twenty-three as well, so we have to pay them something under the terms of. Uh, the you know the youth transfery fair play what's it yeah it sounds like we've cut some kind of good deal where if he's any good for us they will get a load of money so i hope he fails frankly <laughs> <laughs> finances first that's what it's all about isn't can you it? can you imagine if he wins the league wins the champions league for leeds united he's there the captain lifting the trophy aloft and then the next day you see whoever whichever people are in charge at stratford at that point with a big check from Leeds United. Thumbs up. I'll live Cheers, with lads. Yeah, I'll, live with I'll, I'll be honest, <laughs> it's a burden I'm prepared to carry. Your success, our success, building Man United together. We'll be like, we'll, you know how they've got all those um, official like tyre partners for Burma and such, official crisp partners. Other repressive regimes. Yeah. yeah, we'll be like their official Champions League partner for the Champions League. I like the fact that they do uh, Mr. Potato Crisps and they've had Wayne Rooney holding the box. Brilliant. What a great advert. And he want, people wonder why he wants to leave. Well, it could be that, actually. Wayne, we've signed a, we've signed a deal with um, this potato company. I don't need to know the rest. I'm going to Chelsea. This guy then, Wooton. Wooton? Yeah, Wooton. Nice to see us signing players for the future rather than players who are, you know... Yeah, he's a he's a funny one. Although he has been old, a, a serial Lonies, he's not really played many, and I'm not sure the ones to Peterborough count because that was just Taggart helping out Mini Taggart, like go and have a player. And it, I was comparing him with Leesenbauer, who at the same age had basically completed two seasons, one each for Berry and Accrington. He had like eighty games under his belt, whereas Wooton, uh, who allegedly has more pedigree. Uh, just because he's had a nice training ground in his background and played one game in the Champions League. It's kind of like Tom Lee should be teaching him, but um, then we've seen him play. It's like, well, okay, maybe. Well, what were you saying earlier about one swallow not making a summer? True, true, but you can't do better than Wasn't his first touch clearing the ball off the line? And then I believe he, he got up and he started giving the lead salutes. Um, and pulled a bark a scarf from his shorts and started um, singing Leeds United Calypso. And showed which, his Leeds United tattoo as well. Yeah, which yeah. was a uh, um, interesting start of his career. And then he topped it all off by scoring a goal. Can't have much of a better debut. And on the other way, I mean, again, we'll, we'll catch up with Phil Hay about Ross McCormack, but he doesn't appear to be going anywhere, which is a thumbs up thing from me. Yeah. We would not have many points this season without Ross McCormack. We'd have assists and goals. There always <laughs> And goal celebrations, we won't have, you know, it's nice to see him running towards the East End with uh, making his point, whatever or his point bants is. on Twitter. With the lack of bants on Twitter between him and Hunts. How many times is uh, McCormack going to be late for their dates in Costa? And you're just going to have a, f- a selfie of uh, Hunts with the Frappuccino waiting for uh, Ross Mac. Late again. Oh! Those crazy guys, what a life they lead, eh? <laughs> Anyway, so following on from the Doncaster win, we drew Newcastle away in the League Cup. Fancy that one, gents? It looks like a, a tasty little tie up there. Local derby for them, only 100 miles away. They're in disarray, aren't they? Anything could be happening at Newcastle by the time we play there. I hope we can do what 
Arsene Wenger didn't just offer to buy players of theirs. That would be funny, actually. Just to, just yeah. to wind him up, put off, keep putting offers in. Imagine Let's if, change their mind. Imagine if everybody started doing that just the, the morning of the game, turn up in the coach. Thought, right, we're uh, we're here for the fixture. Oh, and by the way, here's the bid for your best player. Just pass that on to him, will you? What we do know with this one is then we should get a good allocation in the stadium that size and no doubt we will take it and go up there and have a right old sing-song, I fancy. And do you reckon we could do it? We, we've got the capability of upsetting them because we're quite organised and reasonably good this season, and they're not. Well, we beat Southampton and Everton last year. Did we beat Spurs last year? Yes. We did, didn't Under we? Under Neil Warnock. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Jesus. So, but these those were specifically the, the League Cup. So we're kind of set up for these kind of things. Maybe it'll be the reverse that so will be good in the league and then McDermott will have no cup form because he, you know, he's got no tactics to start a game, as we've discussed. And he's <laughs> basically a terrible manager. And we, you know, if you start slowly against the uh, the likes of Newcastle with their sophisticated and intelligent manager, he'll just uh, blow teams away. Especially if he's got Joe Kinnear advising him, nothing can possibly go wrong. That's just reminding me of a, a Walnut quote, which I thought you'd like when we lost to Middlesbrough away last year, and he he was defending himself, saying that we'd beaten Everton and Spurs in the cup, and we'd nearly beaten Chelsea. Now that's that's not quite how I remember it. Yeah. Um, we lost. Five. It was 5-1. Yeah, 5-1. And the only reason we got the one was because Luciano Becchio scored the goal he always scores. Yeah, but it was poisonous in the dressing room. It was, it was Jermaine Thomas who he sent back. Jerome. <laughs> Jerome Thomas who he sent back, crossed for Luciano Becchio who he hated and we nearly won. What are we? This is, this is the third podcast of the season, so I guess we're six weeks in. We will probably have stopped banging on about Warnock by the end of the season. But Never. There's no. just so much... Stored up every time he speaks, and every time we put in a reasonable performance. Yes, yes. <laughs> I tweeted this. I tweeted this the other day. The better we become, the more I resent him ever having set foot in my football club. But yeah, I think we'll beat Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> Quite looking forward to it. We could be the team that gets um, Alan Pardew the sack. Imagine the contract payoff. <laughs> He's only got a decade left, hasn't he? Something ridiculous like that. Although I think it's. With a notice period that is a, a rolling year or something, so it's a one-year contract, really. Yeah, I think. Or something that, like that. Not funny anymore. Oh, uh, sorry. Is it, the, <laughs> is it the case? And is it nice that we can basically go and laugh at a club that is in a worse state than we've been? Because we've obviously been the laughing stock for a, a good few years due to our amazing policies. There's not been many teams worse than us. I think Newcastle have always been the one. I've always been able to kind of look across at Newcastle and go... Because even when they won the championship, they had that yellow and yellow striped kit. And when they were got relegated, Alan Shearer as manager. These things happened while we were down in the dumps. And they were ridiculous. Mike Ashley's entire life has happened while... Well, at least the part that pertains to owning Newcastle has happened while we've been... Taking on Dennis Wise. <laughs> Well, yeah, they took Dennis Wise off us. Newcastle have always been there. And they there. paid us for him. Yeah. And, the, and then the, wasn't it, was it when he arrived or when he left that loads of dimwitted Geordies came and just like hovered around outside the ground and were just like, where's the dwarf? You can, I think, rely, on, you can rely on the Geordies for that. Yeah. Well, they, exactly. They sort of generally do that anyway, yeah. don't they? Transfer deadline day is the, a favourite day up there. Yeah. And we don't do, we've never really the scraped like, like that barrel. Like moths around a light bulb. <laughs> Keegan! <laughs> what, what, what are you doing, lads? We've never really scraped that barrel. You don't find people just hanging around outside the stadium for no reason. We're enjoyably apathetic, aren't we? Yeah, yeah we stay in when it's, it's like it's cold out there. So Newcastle have always been very good for for this, I find. So cheers, Newcastle. Anyway, good news. Sam Byram is alive. Yes. 
He's had a hip replacement. <laughs> and he's just about back on crutches now. Um, he played for the Blazing Squad, didn't he, against Huddersfield and, and survived the experience. Then they're talking about him playing an hour against Derby on Monday in another uh, Blazing match. I'm not happy about this surviving matches. I want him to, I want him to thrive and prosper, not just just be dragged off. The, it's all right. He's alive. He's alive. <laughs> We've not broken him much. The thing is, we spoke last time about it being a Leeds United injury that seems to snowball and goes on for months and months. And we had a little bit of light shed on this in the aftermath of our podcast last time that they were saying they're trying to avoid him having an operation yet he's still injured and they're sort of gently, gently bringing him back. and Just let him have the operation. But is that not a bad thing for a young man? Well, so is being is- chronically injured for months. I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but what I think they should do <laughs> is uh, is just make him better. Some things it's need- the obvious. We- some things need operations, though. Yes. That's the thing. There's no yeah. point. There's no point pretending. <laughs> if you'd lost his, if you'd lost a finger, do you want to sew it back on? An operation would not be good for you. <laughs> not we want to see how that goes. <laughs> well, leave it in some milk in the fridge. That's what you're meant to do, isn't it? <laughs> Danny Pugh scored in that game as well. Bloody hell! Hey, was it a thunderous, thunderous free kick? kick. <laughs> like the hammer of Thor. Well, that's what I think must have happened. Is that when he scored a goal? There was a thunderclap because the gods were angry, and then whoever was reporting just like, "Oh, that that free kick was fairly thunderous." Whereas what they forgot to tell us was the Norse gods emerged from the sky and declared war on the earth. Typical bloody journalists don't know what's going on. Thunderous free kick, guy in the sky waving a hammer at them. <laughs> oh, Danny Pugh, what to do? What to Sell do? him. That's what to do with him. Sheffield Wednesday want him. Let Nobody him. wants him. Sheffield Wednesday will have him. What do they need him for? He's not. Eight foot tall. He can stand on the shoulders. He can shoulders. grow. He can grow. <laughs> hey, listen, the positivity keeps on coming anyway because uh, the Supporters Trust had a meeting at Ellen Road yesterday, like in the stadium, allowed, allowed, <laughs> allowed by the what? club. And David Haig even called in on the phone. Was it to give them dogs abuse? No, it was to call in and say, well done, chap. Sorry, I can't be there, etc., etc. Enjoy the burgers. I'm on my gap here still. <laughs> <laughs> Where was it this time? I've just got to a charming campsite and uh, been, uh, inter- I've just got around in Vienna actually. <laughs> I'm just here with uh, Eddie Howe's just arrived. He's uh, they would be they would be great mates those two. He's, well, taken, uh, he's taken us a sabbatical. Yeah, we're, uh, we're we're taking the opportunity of taking a few uh, a few rugger matches over here. It's like uh, it's it's a real man sport. Football's a bit namby pamby for for us lads like me and uh, me and Edward. But uh, yeah, and you know, how the meeting goes, uh, oh, it's very well in there. They're in Willie's Bar. And, uh, <laughs> d- delighted to let you use the facilities. No, it's a good step forward, isn't it? We're, we're happy that this is happening. And, you know, even whatever differences have been in the past, it's nice to see them, uh, you know, putting them away and under the carpet. And um, I don't mean this in a negative way. <laughs> but <laughs> but the thought that occurred to me that now uh, the supporters just are having their meetings at Elland Road and David Haig is phoning in on the phone from uh, wherever he is. And the promise that there's going to be people attending, like Paul Hunt, the chief executive, is going to come, or somebody will always be there at a meeting. We will now know when things start to go wrong, because when there's a meeting there, David Haig doesn't phone up and nobody does turn up and everyone's like, well, where's where's the, where's the, where's the club representation? It's like, 
we haven't had an answer for a while, but we're still very, using very the room. Poor, very poor signal. I'm climbing uh, Kilimanjaro. <laughs> really. Well, he's rowing the channel is his next bloody thing. Anyway. Um, Leave him be. And then when they turn up for the meeting... He's me- a philanthropist. And when they turn up for the meeting and... Uh, if he was a philanthropist, you just give the money away, not roll the channel and make it... Anyway, have us sponsor him. Hey, I'm a, I'm a millionaire. And anyway. Um, <laughs> and then when they turn up at Billy's bar and like, the doors are locked. And that's when, so we... Well, it'll, it'll start, no, it'll start off with, they'll start collecting glasses around them, saying, come on, I'm sorry to kick you out yeah. early, but... Yeah, you only booked it for an hour. Yeah. So we thought we had all night. No, it's in the book, look. Start stacking the chairs away around them, you know. No, we haven't got a, we haven't got a booking in that name. I genuinely don't mean it in a negative way. I just mean that now we do actually have a bar of, like, this is how the club are actually now working quite well with the supporters' trust and there's a dialogue and um, a bit of relationship and sharing rooms and phoning in. It's nice. But there will now be a measure that if something down the line does go wrong or does happen, (laughs) it will be fairly easy for us to see it'll happen. Um, I I hope it doesn't happen. The important things to come out of this meeting and the actual business that took place. I thought um, David Haig's phone call was the important thing. It was, but they've got new board members um, right now of the Supporters Trust. Um, and a significant move forward that one of them, Steve Clay, is a former policeman who has dealt with football crowds as part of his work. Uh, he's a Leeds fan, but he's sort of been assigned towards the, the stewarding and policing issues, which should be a big step forward in terms of how the club's fallen out with the, the police over the whole court case and stuff under Bates. It adds to what Ken Bates never quite understood about Leeds United Supporters Trust when he was just like, well, there's just an IT technician's room. Oh, don't know anything. It's like, well, they do know things. There's always been quite a deep knowledge base there. And so under that regime, it was like, well, they should be talking about policing issues. Well, he was a policeman. Well, I don't know anything about football. Well, actually, he was responsible for policing football matches. And so it just, you know, it's a good appointment, more knowledge, more experience. And you can't say they don't know what they're talking about because they do. Here is a person who does know what they're talking about. Another important thing that came out of the meeting was that the supporters trust now understand that Melvin Levi has approached the club to settle the ad match case, which is interesting. But I thought that Melvin Levi wanted to pursue that to the ends of the earth to ruin Leeds United out of spite. No, that was Ken Bates. (laughs) Yeah, and as we understand it, that that Levi and Weston possibly personally stand to lose quite a lot of money out of this, but I think it was just the case that they were being pursued relentlessly by Bates that meant that this thing persisted. So hopefully they can come to an amicable solution with that. Was it the, the case then that Bates kept phoning them up? And, Why are you suing me for this? He's like, well, we're not suing you. Well, I'm suing you. <laughs> well, we'll sue you back then? You haven't sued me this week. Sue me or I'm going to sue you. Ken. I enjoy these things coming out, though, that people are just basically not like Bates. There was a rumour doing the rounds a while ago that Lord Harwood has let, got some bit of his estate that has been left to Leeds United and it was not to be given to Leeds United until Ken Bates had gone. We have no idea if it's true or not. But, <laughs> it's, a brilliant, a, but yeah. it's a story. It's yeah. nice. You can like believe it. it. I'm quite, quite happy easily. to believe it. On to other news, then. The club have advertised for entertainers. Um, Is this the new transfer policy? Yay. Hey. No, it's not. <laughs> they, well, what they, is it? They, they want family entertainers. But we've got the Copcat. Entertain families. I had my photograph taken with Copcat today. Well, I will say there's a lot of bad news about family entertainers at the moment, so they want to be very careful. The Copcat didn't touch me. I had my photo taken with him on Brigitte. He straight up dissed me. I had my photo taken with my arm around him, and then I put out my hands to, like, shake hands, and he just turned his back, and one of the people who was with the charity buckets had to kind of tap him and go, 
that young that man in his thirties <laughs> would like to would, who just had this photograph taken hugging you. <laughs> you don't know would, who he is. Would now like to shake your hand, and so I had, and so it's kind of like, yeah, it's a paw, by the way. I don't know. Moscow's got paws. <laughs> I would like to say I'm very worried more than having this uh, aloof, great big cat representing our football club. They're going to be banning alcohol at Ellen Road. We all it's know an that. outrage. I'm, I'm for one, I'm very upset. And a waste of money because they just installed all those new things that serve drinks really fast. And now they're going to rip them out. Now they're going, no, don't serve them fast. Serve them slowly. Well, this this was water in it. Well, this was rather brilliant, wasn't it? Was it Charles Sale in the Daily Mail? Yeah, um, who used to be called Charlie before. Actually, I sound like Bates made that joke. He used to be a right proper Charlie. I don't know when he started being called Charles. That's an actual quote. Um, God, anyway, I sound like Bates. What's happening? They're, they're very much known for liking Muslims, aren't they? At the Daily Mail. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering where this sort of left field editorial comment came from. You wonder what their angle was on this story because they said it was Salem Patel wanted to reflect the deep religious beliefs of clubs owners GFH Capital. And then the next paragraph was that uh, nobody else on the club board agreed with him. So, well, if it's that deeply ingrained in the <laughs> beliefs of GFH Capital as a company, you would think that when he raised it, everybody from GFH Capital on the board would go, yes, good idea, Salem. That reflects our deep religious beliefs that we adhere to as a company. Let's do that. Instead of just going, Salem, you're drunk. Shut up. So it's just a few days to the transfer deadline and to catch up on all the incomings and outgoings at Ellen Road, I'm pleased to say we're joined on the phone now by the Yorkshire Evening Post chief football writer and Leeds United correspondent, Phil Hay. Welcome along, Phil. Good evening, Daniel. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Right, at this transfer window, four days of it remaining, do you forecast a fifth signing? I think forecast would be a little strong, but it's not to say it would be unexpected if it happened. Uh, we, were, we were up at Brian McDermott's press conference this morning and he did say that, that he's spoken to the board at Leeds about a fifth signing. I think he's indicating himself that, that were it to happen, that would be his, his fifth and last of the window. I don't think there's any question about that. But you do tend to read between the lines of these things and he was saying that it's at a a very preliminary stage and um, that certainly not at the point of looking at the nuts and bolts of the, the financial aspects of the transfer and he described it as a maybe which I think is probably his way of saying that it's by no means guaranteed and, and not a nailed on deal at all but he says he knows who he wants he, he wants it to happen and they've got three days to, to sort it out if they can but as I say I, I would say that, that he sounded 50-50 this morning as to whether he was he was going to get anywhere with it and certainly wasn't implying that it was a long way down the line. The clock is ticking in this respect, isn't it? He wants to hurry up if it's only at a preliminary stage right now. Well, absolutely. I mean, obviously, no transfers can go through Saturday, Sunday, although they, the clubs are perfectly able to negotiate during that period. But I mean, they've got the, the preparation for the game tomorrow. They've got the game on Saturday. They, they do have Monday, the, the transfer window spilling into September because it's uh, the, the 31st is falling on a weekend. This has happened a couple of times before. But it's going to be now or never in terms of permanent deals. If they're going to do this, they're going to have to get on to it pronto. And I would think in the next 24 hours that they're going to have to make some quite significant progress. What needs to happen for this to, to go through, we're, we're not quite clear. I did ask that today and McDermott's response was to say it really wasn't far enough down the line to know whether the, the other club might need a player to go first, whether the finances were there for him to do it in the first place, whether players might need to leave Leeds. I don't think that situation's changed. I think they are still trying to get people through the door and I, I reckon any business that's going to be done in the last 72 hours is going to depend slightly on that and on freeing up some wages so a complicated situation as complex as it's been all the way through through the summer and I don't think he's got any certainty about this deal but as I say he, he knows who he wants and, and that will be the one that he'll be chasing over the weekend Is there any idea who he might be looking at then in terms of uh, targets? 
No, no, not specific names. Um, a couple of interesting developments today, though, just elsewhere. I, I noticed that Jimmy Kebby seems to be on his way out of Reading. Didn't play against Peterborough earlier in the week, that lovely 6-0 defeat they had. And seemed to be a bit of aggro on Nigel Atkins' front about whether or not he, he had the hamstring injury that he was complaining of. As, as far as we can tell, he's speaking to Crystal Palace. I think he wants to go back to the Premier League. And he, even after relegation, he does earn somewhere close to £20,000 a week. And on top of that, Reading aren't going to let him go for nothing. So I don't think that's a, a particularly viable option. Another name that's been flying about in the ether all week has been Ricardo Vazte down at West Ham. And he has put in a, a transfer request this morning and, and obviously wants to get himself away from there before the window closes. And to an extent, he would fit the remit of, of what McDermott's looking for, a, a quick winger, an out-and-out winger, someone who, who can play there quite comfortably. But it looks like Cardiff City are interested in him. And I think if money's going to talk in that deal, then, then it, it would probably be no-go again game but it's going to be somebody of that ilk and what I don't think we'll see is McDermott bringing someone just to make up the numbers or to to give him something that that almost passes as a winger I I do think that if he can't get who he's looking for he'll he'll leave this be and and come back to come back to it either in the loan window or more likely in January. Do you think then in terms of his targets he's had to sort of reassess and maybe there are different factors in place stuff like obviously price is one of them but age and even potential resale value? I don't think he's setting resale value as a, a as part of the remit for the players he's looking at I think if that falls into into place as it did with Scott Wooten then, then that's a bonus for him and the same with Luke Murphy and, and Matt Smith I suppose to, to to put it another way he wouldn't sign a player simply because they've got real resale value I think he's very clear on, on who he wants I mean my understanding was that at the start of the summer he, he gave the board a list of eight names um, and was hopeful of, of signing six of those I think the, the the indication being that that perhaps a couple of players were in similar positions, and at the moment he's got four, and you know he's hoping for a fifth before the window closes. And I do think from the outset, and it's been fairly obvious this from speaking to him, that it's been a case of names as opposed to numbers for him. He he wants the right number of players, but he only wants them if they're going to be the the guys that he's after, the players that he specifically wants to sign. And we know that Noel Hunt was was formerly on his list, Murphy and, and Smith too. Whitten was a slightly more interesting one because it, it's not a great secret that that Leeds had gone for Gordon Greer down at Brighton and I think he was available for as long as uh, Brighton were manager list um, Oscar Garcia came in and, and that deal went south pretty quickly and, and Wooten was the fallback so I don't think like you, you mentioned in age there I don't think age will be a factor if, if McDermott likes who he's looking at as he did with, with Gordon Greer then, then he'll go for the deal Price is obviously a restriction but I do think to be fair to McDermott he's been pretty realistic about what he's going for and, and I don't think he's asking the board for anything out of the ordinary I mean, you speak to him fairly regularly and obviously you'll be able to gauge his mood a lot better than, than we can from the outside and particularly perhaps than you can convey in words. I mean, do you think he's happy overall with this window so far? Do you know, I, I think the thing about McDermott is that regardless of how he feels about who's coming in and, and who isn't and, and where he's getting with his transfers, I think he's the sort of manager who is, happy might be the wrong word, but is willing to just take what he's got and, and get on with it and to make the best of it in a way that, that perhaps Neil Warnock wasn't last summer. He's very clear, really, it's saying that it's it's not about frustration for him when deals aren't happening, when transfers aren't going through. I think there was probably a, a slight exception to that rule at the end of June when he was trying to get Murphy over the line, he was trying to get Noel Hunt over the line, and I think was struggling to understand why you know, the, the club weren't, weren't making that happen at a time when the, the deals needed to be done. And obviously, after a, a lot of discussions between him and the board, those transfers went ahead as intended. Uh, but I think with him, he'll make the best of the situation. And, and I don't think he's a manager who rushed to throw his toys out of the pram. And that probably comes from a, a lot of the experience he had at Reading, where 
he was forced to sell players. He was told that that offers come in and, and they were going to be accepted, and he, he was losing some pretty high caliber professionals because of it. And um, got on with it, got them up. I think um, I think those years have taught him that that to get a good side, you don't necessarily have to have the players you want to keep, or you don't necessarily have to sign the the players that you're looking to bring in. But it certainly helps, and he knows that as as well as anybody. I just think that in the meantime, he doesn't want the season to go to waste purely because he isn't getting everything that he's asking for. Which is almost the opposite of what we saw with Warnock last year. Well, very much so. And and the same goes for the, the signings as well. You've got um, Luke Murphy at 23, Matt Swift 24, Scott Wooten 21. Um, I know Noel Hunt's come in and is obviously the, the other side of 30, but it's been a different tact in the sense that the, the players who came in, while well, Warnock was manager last summer, the, the majority of them were were knocking on past 30 and didn't have a huge amount of resale value. And, and dare I say, you know, the... If, if they didn't perform last season, we're, we're highly unlikely to get vastly better in the, in the years ahead. Whereas the, the thing that encouraged me massively about the, the Wooten signing was that we know, as I said, that, that McDermott did go for Gordon Greer. And I think we'd have done that deal if it could have gone through. And had Greer signed, I find it quite unlikely that, that Wooten would have followed. But it does tell you that he wasn't looking for a, a generic experienced centre-back in the window this summer. He was purely looking for a centre-back who he rated and, and Greer was that man. And the fact that he's gone for for Wooten, I think, you know, going for an option who can become part of the core of the team over four, five, six years is, is really encouraging. The, the other option that was touted about an awful lot was Matt Mills. And Matt Mills is a very good player under him at Reading. You know, real, really developed very well and himself a really, really lucrative move to, to Leicester. But two clubs in the last two years have signed him on big wages and, and have found themselves punting him on a year later. And you kind of think that the warning signs are flashing all over that one. And there was a bit of a risk of Leeds walking into a wall by paying big money for him, bringing him in and finding that the, the problems that Leicester and Bolton had with him, the, the, the lack of impact he had at either club, was true again the third time round. And at least with Wooten, you're talking about someone who's coming from good stock as much as we shouldn't say that, and is 21 years old. You know, if he develops like guys like Snodgrass, Bradley Johnson, Luciano Becchio did after coming here, you know, a, a little bit unheralded, then you could find yourself with a very, very good asset there a few years down the line. And do you think he's likely to dip his toes into the um, the loan window, then the dreaded loan window? I have to be honest, I don't get the impression he particularly likes it. Whenever we ask him about loan signings, he always says that he only really likes loan signings if it leads to a permanent transfer. And obviously that's a far bigger commitment than, than doing what Leeds have done quite a few times over the year by bringing somebody in for a month, a couple of months, just to either fill a gap or, or provide a bit of cover, tide them over. So I think of all the managers who who really get excited by the loan window, he's not one of them. It's not to say he won't do any deals. I mean, if, say, for example, Sam Byron was to go for surgery, Lee Peltier to get injured, then obviously you start looking for cover and you do have Witten who can play it right back, but then you don't have a spare centre-back. So I suppose he does have to be pragmatic. But I don't think he'll be going into the loan window thinking... I'll be trying to get three or four more players who can tie me over for a month or can just pad out the squad a little bit. I think anybody he brings in, he'll want to sign permanently when, when January comes. And obviously that's a much bigger consideration for the board. It's a much more complex discussion to be had. So he, he might well use it. I just don't think that at the outset of the summer it would have been his intention to get heavily involved in that. In terms of going the other way, then we've heard a lot about Ross McCormack and it seems now the club's in, in a situation where it's talking to him about a new deal and the goodwill on, on all sides. It's been going on for the best part of a week now. Contract talks still not, not agreed, but I think there's an expectation that they will find common ground and it looks less and less likely that he's going to go. I think there was a worry when, when Middlesbrough came in for the third time last week that 
it was starting to build up a, a head of steam. And the other confusing thing as well was that Middlesbrough seemed that utterly convinced that there was a deal to be done there, despite what was being said down down here. And you you just worry when you hear those sort of noises because you can never be, be perfectly sure of what's going on. But McDermott obviously wants to keep him. McCormack tells us he wants to stay. I, I do think that um, the board will, will see the sense in, in making sure that they don't lose him. I just think it would be lunacy to let him go at the moment. The squad isn't isn't quite strong enough as it is, and I don't see how it helps by by letting one of your live wires go you know, a few days before the, the window closes. So I, I would rule him out unless there's a, a, a very serious bid in the, the, the next 48, 72 hours. Um, outgoings in general, I think the... The one that seems most likely to me would be would be Aidan White, possibly on loan. There, there is interest in him. I think he's probably somebody that that other other clubs would would be interested in having, and, and possibly other Championship clubs too. Beyond that, there's been very little interest all summer, and that's been one of the problems. Really, is that I know McDermott says that that everybody's involved, everybody's in his plan, but there must be a list in his head of of lads he can do without. And frankly, none of them seem to be attracting enough interest at the moment. And until they do. Shifting them and, and bringing down the wage bill is going to be is going to be very difficult. Are we talking about the likes of say Pew there and Norris? Because Pew's supposed to be on quite uh, good money, isn't he? To say the least. Absolutely, he is one of the, the higher earners, and I mean he he costs best part of half a million pounds. It, you don't think it now, but he was quite a, a significant or serious transfer at the time, and and he is on good money, and and that does cause a problem. David Norris as well. He's another that they'll they'll listen to offers for, and I, I still think that if a, an offer came in for El Hajduf and it was a deal that could make a, you know create space for someone else to come in, I still think McDermott would seriously consider that. That aside, what else can they do? They can't afford to lose any of the players who, who are key to the squad, the Austins, the Tom Lees, Paddy Kenny's, you know, the, the guys they've got to keep hold of. And with that in mind, it's made it difficult. They're looking to move on the fringe players and, and people ask, well, why don't you sell the Deadwood? And the, the simple answer is because people don't want Deadwood. Do you think that the good start to the season is perhaps masking a few deficiencies in the transfer policy and, and is perhaps hiding the fact that we are struggling for cash a little bit? I think so, to a degree. Somebody said to me recently, is a, a good phrase this, they said one of the problems with the, the Bates era was that it stole the middle ground from Leeds United. And I think what they meant by that was that it's, everything is black and white now. It's either the club are in a fantastic position or you know the owners are, are the dog's bollocks, to coin a phrase, or they're dreadful and, and everything's a, a complete disaster. There doesn't seem to be a grey area anymore where people can sit back and say, Certain things are good, certain things are not so good and and judge it over time. I do think that the squad could do with a, a bit more investment, although equally I do know that the wage bill is pretty high and it's up at around about £50 million at the moment. Um, and yeah, I, I do think to a degree that the squad are overachieving, although whether you can really say that after four games, I'm not sure. The, the, the concern for me would be that they get into October, November and find that, that they start to toil a bit, that the, the run of games and busy schedule starts to catch up with them. In saying that, I've been seeing... Leeds this month, having watched the opposition as well, Leicester, Ipswich, sides who you, you maybe expected quite a bit from. I don't think Leeds are any worse placed at the moment to, to clear 60 points like they did last season. I think they're a better team, more organised and better tactically than they were last season. And as much as I don't think they're, they're quite there as far as the playoffs are concerned, I don't think they're a, a mile off either. And I would really challenge people to name me 10, 12 sides who, who are better placed with them because to use Ipswich as an example I didn't see a great deal there at all I thought they had a left back in Aaron Cresville and, and not a lot else so so yeah I think they could be better and, and I would very much like to think that, that another player will come in before before Monday but even if they don't um, I don't think Leeds will be in any trouble this season 
Do you think perhaps then in that light, we sort of overestimate the quality of the championship a little bit and momentum is, is perhaps a bigger factor than we realise? I mean, you look back to McDermott's uh, run under Reading when they ran away with the league in the end. Yeah, and it's like Leicester City, really. I mean, the, the interesting thing for me this month has been that two managers, Nigel Pearson, Mick McCarthy, have both been asked after games against Leeds about what they plan to do with their squad before the transfer window closes. Pearson's answer was basically... There'll be no major overhaul and there may not be any signings at all. Mick McCarthy's answer was there will absolutely be no incomings before the transfer window closes. So it's not only at Leeds where things are a bit squeezed and and where clubs are a little bit short and don't have a huge amount of flexibility. And I think this, this year is going to be as tight as last year. I don't see the division being any different. I think it'll be a very even field with perhaps a few exceptions at the, the top and the bottom. I can't After the start, I can't see anything other than, than QPR winning the league or certainly finishing second. I do think there'll be a couple of runaway teams. But in general, it's um, you know it's, it's quite a flat field. And, and as I say, I don't think Leeds are a worse place than, than an awful lot of teams in the league. I just think that they could do themselves a big favour by making one or two key signings that would you know would strengthen them in, in the areas where they need to be stronger, and I do think that McDermott, with his nous and his background, and you know recent background of of doing well in this league, is is someone who who you could trust to spend the money well. I, I think it would be well worthwhile giving him it. Do you think the QPR game then, just returning to them, it's going to be an interesting benchmark then of, of Leeds United's quality versus the rest of the Championship? I do, it's, but it's a good time to be playing them. Six games unbeaten, Leeds. QPR lost to Swindon midweek. You know, if they are going to get on the sort of role that Reading got on under McDermott, they're not going to be on it at the moment. You know, as I say, I just think it's it's fallen quite conveniently. Um, a great benchmark, yeah. I mean, their squad's an absolute joke, and it's not just the starting lineup; it's the bench. I mean, I was looking last weekend. Genius on there, Zamora as well. You know, the, the bench for midweek, Robert Green was left out. Joey Barton didn't play any any part. Andy Johnson was a sub. So they are going to win the league, all things being equal. And and this will be a a very, very hard game for Leeds. But I just hope that, I mean, McDermott will have have Leeds organised. He he will keep it tight. But I just hope to to an extent and in patches, Leeds fight fire with fire. Because I remember QPR coming to Dillon Road in 2010. I think they'd lost one game and we were were getting up to Christmas. And and Leeds got at them. They, They played very well. Got a 2-0 win, you know, really significant victory at the time. And I, I could see that happening again if they if they could commit themselves to the match and if they're brave enough to play when, when they have the ball. And again, that's another thing I like about McDermott is that the players don't seem scared to play under him. They don't seem don't seem worried about doing what they doing what they're being told to do. And you know, I, I wouldn't like to call the result. It, it wouldn't be a surprise if QPR go away with a win. But equally, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about Leeds getting something from it. That's a theme that's sort of running through Leeds this year. So, uh, you know, crystal ball time. Is this a side capable of getting promoted? I won't ask you if we're going to get promoted, but could we? With additions, yes. And I don't mean a, a bundle of additions. I mean one or two. I think if they had wingers um, and, and were able to, to use that system when they needed to, then, then yeah, I think they could. The, the benchmark for, for the playoffs last season was 68 points. And as I say, Leeds finished with 61. I think they're well equipped to get as many points as they did last season. I, I, I don't think they're a worse side. I don't think they're any weaker. Uh, I think they've got more talent in certain areas and, and a bit more fizz about them as well. I think a lot depends on what other clubs do. I mean, if, if the tally goes well over 70 points and sometimes it can run up to 74, then I think that's a really big ask at the moment. And I think it will probably be beyond Leeds. But um, as I say, three, three days to go. And of course, you've got January coming round, and I reckon that'll be the key to this season: is to make sure that they, that when when the January window opens, they are in with a shout and they, and they are close. Because if you're not at that stage, it's very very difficult to catch up. Coming up. 
Only one game coming up in this fortnight then. It's followed by an international break. Uh, but the one game we've got before that is QPR at home on Saturday. We're on the telly again. Should uh, damage the attendance sufficiently, shouldn't it? Plus it's only QPR. Nobody wants to watch a, a team of Premier League footballers win easily. Lots to love about QPR. I mean, you've got Harry Redknapp as their manager, Joey Barton in midfield. Top I mean, guys. A team of millionaires with their billionaire manager. Whose description is that? Mine. Wise words, wise words. Mm. I was looking at their squad. It's not really fair. It's re-goddamn-diculous is what their squad is. <laughs> they're spending too much money. What happens to the financial fair play thing? I don't think they care. It seems to be David Haig bothered about that. Well, yeah, there are no penalties for it until next year, but what they're yeah. obviously doing is a shit-or-bust move. Because at worst, you get fined the amount that you go over the financial fair play. So if you go over it by 10 million, what's 10 million when you get 120 for going up? I believe... I saw the headlines correctly in the wake of their... Did they lose in the League Cup? Did they get knocked out? Mm. Um, to which Harry Redknapp's immediate response was, he's going to have to sign some more players before this window closes. <laughs> um, the new signings will be essential. <laughs> Harry, look around you, man. There must be... There can't be... I mean, Loftus Road is a small stadium. Can't, there'll be more players than fans. It is worth pointing out in the new issue of the Square Ball that, Michael, you penned a nice little column on uh, on Harry Redknapp and you asked, what does Harry Redknapp do? Well, yeah. I, sen- I mean, I essentially hate him. I'll, I'll make, no, um, I'll make no, no bones about it. But he's going to get them promoted this year because they've got a stupidly good squad that they're spending a kind of upper mid-table premiership budget on. And in the media, people are going to be going, oh, ain't he done a great job, Harry? He's gone relegated in the first place, despite having spent about £30 million in the, in the transfer window. Samba. Having a huge amount of time still to turn them around. Failed to do that. Now he's dropped down to a level that he might find acceptable at last. Still with a really good squad. Still buying people like Charlie Austin for, what was it, £4 million quid or something? And that's just like, oh, yeah, we'll just have him, whatever. We'll just, yeah, we can buy him, can't we? Yeah, fine, I'll have him on the bench. Of course they're going to go up. And it's not even just the players, the staff. It's like, I haven't got enough coaches here, so I think I'll have just, which which former England manager's out of work? I mean, I don't particularly rate Steve McLaren, but if you can just go, Steve, I need you to just sit in the stands and watch the game. What is, what is Steve McLaren bringing to... It's a, it's a Dutch perspective. A Dutch, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, lang- language skills. <laughs> He'll have a, just people from every single nation. It's like, well, oh, we'll get a variety of different perspectives on my management. And it's it's like a school team that's won a competition to have Steve McLaren just come and watch the games and give them some pointers. It's like they've got their manager, but they entered this thing and now there's like for a few games, it's a special treat. Blue Peter will make a programme about them and then Steve McLaren will say, you know, try and be a bit more disciplined. But he's a good player. Give the ball to him. And good luck for the rest of the season. It's crazy. I just, I just hope on the Football League show, when they eventually promoted and Manish sent to Steve Claridge and says, he's done a great job there and he's got them up. I hope, I hope he just goes back and goes, of course he's fucking got them up. <laughs> Neil Warnock could have got that side up. I th- he did. But we know what uh, we know what Steve Claridge's reaction will actually be. He'll be furrow his brow and they go, well... No, is, is his brow ever unfurrowed? That's the question. Because he keeps having to weigh up whether how good an achievement that getting QPR promoted is. It's one of those, Manish. You know, <laughs> that's a good facial impression that will not translate in any way well onto a podcast. But I, I enjoyed that, and I'm sure the other chaps did. This game, I spoke to Phil Hay then, and he, and he was saying we thought collectively it was probably going to be an interesting benchmark of our abilities. Do you feel the same sort of way about it? If we can get something out of this game, no. 
I fundamentally disagree. I think this is irrelevant for our benchmarks in any way because they have nothing to do with the championship. Our benchmark is championship teams, not the Shepherds Bush Globetrotters. <laughs> Basically all those sort of middling ones that Phil was talking about. We have promotion rivals and QPR aren't one because it's basically, it's all theirs to lose. Oh God, I hope they do. Oh, definitely. I I can't wait to see them just fail badly. And it's what I, I fervently hope, especially, I mean, Joey Barton, imagine having to spend another season in the championship when he already resents being here in the first place. Well, he's, yeah, he's turned down and moved to Palace, hasn't he? Which doesn't say a lot for Palace. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not actually, obviously I want to beat them. Remember when we beat them when they were going up? Yeah, when Warwick took them up. We beat them. And we hammered them. And that was one of the best games at Elland Road. That was a big crowd at Elland Road. And I remember a, a spine-chilling wacko and a, a Mexican wave. I don't think it was a Mexican wave, but it was definitely good vibes. That could happen. But if we lose, we've just got to basically go, well, yeah. They had Brazil's keeper on the bench. <laughs> now they've got England's keeper on the field instead. Which is worse. Well, Magic's Rob Green. Yeah. So he's, a, um, he's an English keeper. Is a better description of him. So if our unbeaten record goes against QPR, you're saying it's nothing to worry about? Yes, I am but saying we that. we could go top of the league for Alter- a few hours. Alternatively, yes, we could be rolled onto the top of the league as uh, Salano Rudin wants us to be. I'm on for that. Let's do it. Would we be scared if we went top of the league for a bit? It still feels too early. But everyone seems to have jumped on that this season. I don't know if it's the FL72 hype, but I'm hearing a lot more of kind of, obviously, there's only been two games played... But looking at the top of the table, you can see the front runners. There seems to be a lot more of that this season. But we're getting now to the point where that hype might be slightly justified with what have we, how many games will this be? And I don't know why I'm looking at the paper where it's not even written down anyway. Seven? Five? Good job we're not in Norwich when you <laughs> <laughs> held up home. <laughs> put up a yeah, hand. Yeah, I just, I waved a hand at Moscow saying five. Six? Yeah. yeah. Um, five games. How many points is that? What's five times three? Fifteen. That's reasonable. So if we had 15 points, um, I'd say we were doing well. Into the international break after this QPR game. Would be nice to go into that unbeaten still, wouldn't it? It would. Yes, it would, Dan. Good. I'm glad you agree. Uh, Ross McCormack adding another zero onto his uh, evaluation by getting a call up to Gordon Strachan, Scotland. He's now worth £30 million. Yes. <laughs> Just because he got called up for Scotland. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. To anybody listening from the Teesside area. Fair enough. Well, they'll probably Unless QPR that. wants to buy him for 30 million. Yeah. Yeah, the, it's probably come on their radar now. You know, when yeah. you were... Uh, Once he scores five on Saturday, no, Red will be after him. That won't be, uh, that won't be relevant. It'll be the fact he's worth 30 million quid. He probably has his, uh, his, his saved search, his uh, players between 25 and upwards. <laughs> Not interested. Like, oh, his valuation's gone up. Who's this guy? Let's buy him. Do you know what is interesting? I read a, an interview this week with one of the guys who's behind Football Manager and he said that they actually do sell their services and their data to Premier League football clubs, one of which is that he named is Everton, but a lot of them won't admit to using it, but yeah. they do. When he says the sell the data, does it just mean people buy the game? <laughs> no, they actually use the data for scouting. Because I suppose people scout them, scout the players to then inform the game. So somebody's done the scouting. Yep. And, uh, and you know, football manager history is littered with players who were good on football manager and went on to be fantastic in real life. Freddie Adu, amazing. Peter Smith, Brighton fullback. Yeah. He was dead good. on Champ manager sort of 95, 96. Best right back on the game he was. Well, my my favourite was that they put two uh, of themselves in, didn't they? The makers, they put them in for Cambridge and they both went on to become England internationals. 
stuck themselves in the squad, which is exactly what I would do yeah. if I'd made the game. I would stick myself straight into Leeds United's first team with 20s in every attribute. And then you would sell the data to Everton and watch as they tried to sign you. <laughs> and I would sign for them, <laughs> even now in my mid-30s. Bid coming in from uh, QPR at any moment. <laughs> The Ken Bates, villain of the fortnight. This award is given to somebody who, in the last fortnight, has added to the misery of being a Leeds United fan. We, we used to phrase it as the ongoing misery, I think, but things aren't that bad, are they? Struggling right. for misery. Quite, quite should, enjoying it. Who do we nominate for starving us of our misery, our, our <laughs> rightful miseriness? Um, well, Ken obviously gets his customary fortnightly nomination. Now, these, these are becoming harder to... Justify now because he's been very quiet for the last couple of weeks. But what's he getting a nomination for? Being too quiet. Still breathing. Locking. Yeah, are we going to give him that every fortnight? It sounds that yeah. way. Locking uh, lost out of Ellen Road all these years. See how easy it is to have a meeting and just call them. He didn't. Don't even have to attend. Just a nice phone call to say, "I hope you're enjoying your evening." That's all it would have taken. That's fine. Um, and for because um, if this ad match business is going to be settled. And then it was clearly just his presence that was causing a problem and cost us millions in court cases when if he just either left it or left, it could have all been sorted years ago. Yeah, well, this, that is a fresh development in the last fortnight, so I think that's fairly justified. And who else do we want then? Charlie Charles' sale of the, the racist male. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for peddling stories about not being allowed school plays at Christmas and having to have straight bananas and banning booze at Ellen Road, that kind of stuff. You know the sort of thing. Paint St Paul's Cathedral to fit with the colours of the Saudi Arabian flag. Stuff like that. Generally anything that's a bit anti-Muslim. Yeah, just, sort of, just yeah. lies. Yeah. Charles Sale, <laughs> Daily Mail. Okay, next one. Um, Salim Patel, because this maniac is demanding the booze ban from Ellen Road. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. out of order. Too, which yeah. uh, I read it in, I can't remember which paper it was in, but it was definitely true. There was a report and they wouldn't have printed it if it wasn't true. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I mean, what's he going to want next? It'll be the call to prayer instead of marching on together. That's what it'll be. The uh, rotate, rotating Ellen Road to face Mecca. Yep. In fact, we'll just move Ellen Road to Mecca. <laughs> yeah, we need, we need to keep an eye on him, I think. We need to keep an eye on him. Stealing booze from our nation's children. Yeah. Is a loose cannon, that one. Moscow, I'm sure you must want to nominate Neil Warnock, your bet noir. For robbing us of the joy of seeing future England international Ross Barclay play more than half a game for Leeds United, where he looked too shell-shocked by what was going on to, and we, to cope. We did pick up on this last year as being a dreadful decision as well. I remember saying that it was one of the games where he kind of just pulled a ball out of the air and span on it and did a nice pass, and everyone in Ellen Road went, Oh, Jesus! <laughs> Like, I've not seen that all What's year. What's he doing? <laughs> but, Fucking hell. And there was actual applause. And, and I noticed he pulled it out of the air as well. One, yeah. yeah, obviously, well, he had to, didn't he? Yeah. But didn't he miss that sitter against Birmingham? Oh, which then, yeah. after the game, Warnock, can't believe, you Never know, a player like Never that, you know, in that situation, he's got to, he's got to pull that ball. I mean, you, you're looking at where the ball is and where the player is, and you just... I can't yeah, score I, myself. I can't <laughs> understand that, how, how he's not scored that. Really. I mean, a player, he'd come from... Uh, it come from a big club. I can't remember which one. It was. It was uh, one of, somebody recommended him to us, and then he comes here and he does that. And I, I think you know, it's just not going to work out with a kid like that if he can't score a goal like that. Want to stick with with players who were composed in front of the goal? Varney. Look at Varney and the, the way he plays. It's, it's the things he brings to this team. Ross Barkley. You could look at a player like Luke Varney, and he could learn a thing or two, and then he might get somewhere. But he, he's not a Neil Warnock player. He's an England player. Now, this no. is going to be a bit controversial, but when you actually go back and retread the history of Andros Townsend, 
this is about what happened with old Big Ed, wasn't it? Yeah, except he fucked himself off. That's he was the crucial a bit difference. About it as yeah. well. He didn't have much dignity. He just didn't well, turn up. Ross Barkley wanted to stay and got sent home, whereas Andros Townsend packed his bags and headed off back to the circus. And packed <laughs> Adam Smith's bags as well, and he fucked off as well. Yeah, they just decided not to come to training. Is there any mitigation for Townsend then, based on Neil Warnock? By mitigation, do you mean treatment that might make the swelling go down? <laughs> Possibly, yes. <laughs> Maybe put a bit of sellotape over it and then and then put a pin in. Because then it doesn't pop, you know it, it unleashes quite slowly. I'm trying to be fair to Andros Townsend here, but I can't because he's a massive idiot. So I'm going to nominate Andros Townsend for getting an England call-up. Well, Ross Barclay's England call-up after one decent game in the Premier League is justified and fine and proves Neil Warnock wrong. Andros Townsend's England call-up after one... Has he even had it? I mean, I've not seen much of Match of the Day this year. He, has, he, has he had quite, a good game. He has been quite good the couple of times I've seen him. Well, which is a shame. Right, so let's round it up then. We've got um, Ken Bates for locking Lust out of Ellen Road and the whole ad match thing. Charles Charlie Charles Charlie Sale for peddling the values of a massively racist paper. Celine Patel for wanting to ban alcohol at Ellen Road. Uh, Neil Warnock for Ross Barkley and eh, maybe Andros Townsend. Um, and Andros Townsend himself for daring to get an England call up. Who's winning? Charlie Charles. Um, Charles, Charlie Charlton Sale. I'm torn between Charlton Sale and uh, Andros Townsend. I'm going Warnock. Wow, it's a three-way split. That means Daniel decides, as Phil Hay likes to call you. <laughs> <laughs> I say Charles Sale. He would say, in his defence, that that is further evidence of the Islamification of Britain. <laughs> <laughs> of the Ken Bates villain of the Fortnite Award. <laughs> Any other business? Don't forget that our Leeds Scum Are Back t-shirts are on sale right now at the squareball.net forward slash store. You can buy them in two beautiful colours, charcoal grey and white. I will also have some um, by the Lowfields Tunnel. Ah, you're selling them? Yes, I shall be. I should have a box of them with me if it's not raining. What else is going to be on sale against QPR? This is really important. Programmes. Burgers. And jobs. <laughs> Issue two of the square ball. <coughs> not for £1.50, they're not. I don't know. You get, you get three. You get three. You rate yourself a bit highly, don't you? <laughs> so issue two has gone off to the printers today, hasn't it? And it's it's a beautiful thing. There's loads of stuff like Leeds United dating profiles, uh, things about old things, Ellen Road. <laughs> Player who played once for us but gave his all. Whose name is? Willie Nimmo. What a who brilliant name. Who would have thought that a player called Willie Nimmo played for Leeds? A goalkeeper. One game away at Bolton. Uh, there's a big interview with David Weatherall in there. You spoke to him, didn't you, Moscow? I did. I spoke to Weathers, as I like to call him now. <laughs> you can also read part of that in the City Talking newspaper, like about his student background. And then we've got the the big uh, seven-page football aspect. I think the most surprising part of it was when I started asking about players who he'd partnered at the back. I was expecting him to say, like, Chris Fairclough was really brilliant. Lucas Radaby was one of the world's best. Instead, he was like... He started the sentence, you know, John Pemberton wasn't heralded as a big signing <laughs> and then moved on to, uh, I think Richard Jobson would be amazingly suited to the modern game. It's, I bet Paul Beasley's fucked off. Didn't, he'll, didn't. Re- he'll read it, he'll be like, you fucking... <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. Weatherall was um, really nice. Spotting for an hour as he was driving over the Pennines. I was on the phone, I wasn't in the car. <laughs> <laughs> was, it was one of those fortunate things where you're hitchhiking and then somebody famous picks you up um, and you end up on saddle with more with no clothes on again 
It was good. John Howe visits Howard Wilkinson's house. We can't spoil the surprise with that. Or from the, uh, yeah, similar era. Um, he wasn't yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, good look round. <laughs> Took some medals. They're on eBay. Yeah, that's a really good read that. Um, I like John's article about going to see. It, um, it's a royal appointment, he calls it, isn't it? Rob Mulholland has written, uh, he's quite suspicious of GFH, but he's also quite a funny man. And uh, his um, Chesterfield match report, or rather Chesterfield Michael Brown goal report, um, is also a good read. Buy it. So yes, usually. Buy you, lots of them. If, um, you're, if you're listening to this and you don't want to buy the magazine, we'd like you at least to send us a, a handwritten letter to by post. Email's too easy. Put some effort in. And uh, and tell us why. Or just buy it. Yeah, pound fifty, as I was saying. Um, pound for the download. On sale on Saturday from the external cor- corners of Elland Road. And if we have any left, they will go on sale thereafter, after the international break. And they're available at thesquareball.net. And that, my friend, is that for this issue of the Square Ball podcast. Um, don't forget to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Podcast at thesquareball.net. You can email... Uh, you can tweet at the square ball and find us on Facebook too. Uh, we will be back after the international break before the Bolton away game. Uh, we've got more tickets for that, which should be nice. Extra 1,500, loads of Leeds fans. There's only four of us. Oh, for, as a club. Yeah. Uh, so bye from me. And there's Michael. Goodbye. Moscow White. Goodbye. And Oddie. Goodbye. We look forward to returning and speaking to you again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. The Square Ball Podcast. Supported by thegelderdan.com.